Welcome back to Voices in My Head. As always, I'm your host, Rick Lee James, and I am so glad for all of you who are here with us this week once again. Uh, I'm trying something new this week, putting the intro music in uh, while I'm talking rather than doing it in post. So we'll see if Zoom lets this all play out the way it's supposed to. But I am so glad for all of you who are listening in today. Thank you for joining me here on Voices in My Head. Uh, if you'd like to know more about me, I'll just say at the outset, rickleejames.com is my website. You can go to all the social media pages. Just put in at Rick Lee James. Um, that'll get you to anywhere if you want to do any feedback on this episode. I'm really excited about today's episode. And uh, by the way, I'm going to try to fade out the music here. And it, it may have just stopped altogether. I can't tell, but uh today today's guest <laughs> i'm really excited to have uh with me today because um he is someone who has been a pastor since 2005 um his academic work in the field of theology and church history and spiritual formation um is fascinating and he writes so well about these things he puts out a weekly newsletter that comes through email that i get um he's a part of the church and the nazarene he's deeply passionate about writing and creating space for others to process uh, difficult theological and political questions in today's world and he lives in boise idaho with his wife and son, and they are expecting a baby girl at the end of March. So we are very happy about that. So without any further ado, uh, Benjamin Kramer, welcome to Voices in My Head. Rick, it's so good to be here. I've been excited to, gosh, we've been trying to make this work for a little while, and I'm so glad it's finally finally working out. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad. Now, let me ask you at the at the outset today, do you want me to refer to you as Ben or as Benjamin as we have our conversation today? Uh, ben is fine. Ben anything, is fine. Anything but Benji. Benji's okay. my least, least favorite nickname. <laughs> uh, and that probably has some connection to the dog. I don't know. You know, yeah, you yeah. probably got teased about that. I I always, because my name is Rick James, I always heard all the Rick James jokes, you know, whether it sure. was Dave Chappelle or whoever, and yeah, uh, and Ricky is kind of my pet peeve. Somebody will say, "Hey, Ricky," you know, ah, I hate that. So I, yeah. I get, I get the Benji thing. So yeah, commiserating yeah. with you today. So let me ask you on your end because you're hearing this live. How did the music sound transitioning? Did it did it come in and out okay? Could you hear everything? I could not hear a single thing. No oh, you didn't even. <laughs> At all on my end. <laughs> so listeners, this will be a treat for me to find out if the music actually worked the way it was supposed to. Be. So that's great. Well, uh, if all went well, uh, we have music at the beginning of this show and the end. If not, it didn't. So it, either way, I'm so glad to have this conversation today. Ben, I want to thank you for, for being here today. And um, as even in this sort of informal setting that we have over a Zoom conversation uh, where people are listening to us today. Um, we are recording the day before, but it is actually, when they are going to hear this, it's going to be Ash Wednesday, which yeah. uh, weirdly yeah. enough is on Valentine's Day. Right. Year. So it's it's hard <laughs> to know like w which we're celebrating, like, uh, you know, the, the whole, the whole solemn season of, of Lent that we're heading into or the yeah. uh, season of romantic love where we <laughs> celebrate a saint being martyred. You know, I don't know. It's exactly. Like... <laughs> it generates some really odd, you know, uh, poems mm. like roses are red. You're going to be dead. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, al along with more, uh, more along the lines of Lent rather than Valentine's Day, we'll go with that part of the discussion yeah, yeah. today. Uh, you have a, a book that is actually coming out. It, it's actually available right now, but it would be the perfect time to pick it up 
on Ash Wednesday because it's a, a book that goes through the season of Lent and it's called When Love Gets the Last Word. And Yeah. so I thought it would be a great opportunity today on Ash Wednesday to be able to share with my listeners today something that might help them as a companion through the journey. So please, I wonder if we could start today. Maybe you just tell us about this new book and, and kind of where the idea of it came from. And I, I know that a lot of my listeners are going to be interested just because many of them appreciate having uh, Lenten tools along the way. Yeah, so one of the things that I've been kind of yearning for, especially as a pastor, is that it feels like so much of our devotional time and even worship services are more of a monologue, you know, so it's kind of a one direction. So I, I designed this devotional book and I did the same with Advent to where it's going to be a daily email that you receive. Um, and then you can respond and ask me questions along the way, or so that it's more of a dialogue as well as a devotional. So there's no pressure to respond or have a conversation, but that opportunity is there. Mm. And so every morning about 6 a.m., you'll get this uh, devotion in your email inbox, be able to set apart some, some quiet time there and then uh, provide some reflection for the for the rest of the day. Um, and so it's meant to go from uh, Ash Wednesday to uh, Easter morning and really focusing on um, how we define power and how we define love uh, through the uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay. Well, that sounds great. So how long have you been working on uh, putting this together? I know these These things don't just pop out of thin air for sure. Yeah. So I've been working on this one since uh, my Advent devotional launched. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. so I've been trying to put together some good themes. And as as a writer, I my uh, temptation is always to go too long. So Okay. I, trying to keep them brief, but also meaningful uh, has been been something I've been really trying to work on. Isn't, isn't that the wildest thing? It is so much easier to go long. I find Oh, yeah. that in grad school right now, I, I have several professors that just want like, you know, four pages. And, uh, and in, in that four pages, it seems like they want me to write an entire book on, you know, Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Yeah. you go like, it's a real discipline to figure out how to say it briefly and Yeah. concisely. Absolutely, it is. And Yeah. uh, I think we see that in preaching too, which I know is a real passion of yours. It's Mm uh hmm Uh, it seems like the better prepared we are sometimes, the shorter uh, we preach. And then sometimes the like when we over prepare um, and, and just have too much, it's hard to know when to stop sometimes, too. So Yeah. it's a very interesting Yeah. thing. But so what was kind of on your heart, especially I know you had done this this Advent devotional and then we went into uh, you started writing, getting ready, heading for Lent and getting this new devotional. Is there anything that specifically drives you other than the season itself? Is there something for you, um, maybe even just as a Nazarene pastor, the Nazarene church hasn't always felt very connected to the seasons of the church or, and things. Mm -hmm. Was there something specifically kind of burning in you that felt like, um, I really need to to add something to the conversation, um, maybe for the Nazarene church, maybe for the church universal? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just, I'd love to hear kind of what was was driving you because You really don't, uh, <laughs> how shall I say it? We don't put all this work into something if we don't have some passion behind it too. And I know there must Sure. be a real passion behind that for you. Sure. Well, uh, just a point of 
uh, clarification there. The Church of the Nazarene ended its relationship with me in 2021. Oh, wow. Um, and so I, they, it, it's been probably the, one of the most painful um, points of my ministry so far, Oh, um, having my credentials taken um, for, for various reasons, but mostly because I was trying to make a, a decision that would be best for my family. Um, and it, it that's, I, I didn't want to bring it up because it was mentioned in my bio, I, I think. Uh, but I, I, uh, there's just, it's just so complicated. I've written on it extensively in my newsletter as well as to, as to the things behind it. But, um, I, I, I do to answer your initial question though, I, I do, I've always felt this draw to the liturgical season because there's so much rhythm there. It brings about such centering in the changing of seasons and yet um, predictability. So like there's this natural rhythm that comes throughout the year, but it's so different every time you encounter it. Like when you encounter the Palm Sundays has become one that is just so meaningful to me. There's just so much rich, imagery there compared to good friday about you know the turn of the attitudes towards jesus like why are they picking barabbas over jesus and there's there's so much there about how god's people define power in contrast to who jesus is Yeah. and why those turn of events happened and in this current point in American Christianity, it feels like there's so much power there in the gospel message to both challenge us, but also give us a pathway forward to have our definitions of power and love and freedom Mm. mirror the person of Jesus Christ. And so that, I think that's what really led me to really wanting to lean more into the liturgical calendar and have those, those moments, because when you're following the lectionary, which I think is a, a strong part of the liturgical calendar, you will read the entire Bible as a congregation within three years. So like you're going to preach as a pastor, you're forced to preach from judges. Like I would never go preach from judges, but it really challenges me, my creativity and all these things to how can I read that passage in Chronicles or second Kings or first John in context to, to bring it into where we are as the church right now. And so that, that richness, I think is just what kept uh, bringing me back over time and time again to, Wow. to that season. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And Ben, I want to apologize because I guess I'm I'm a fairly recent follower of of your newsletter and have been enjoying it. And I didn't know that the 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 Church of Nazarene had had done that. I I can only imagine why. And we don't certainly have to talk about that here today. Um, but I want to tell you as as a minister in the Church of the Nazarene, um, that breaks my heart because I see you as one of the brighter points. Um, and, and so without belaboring it any, I want to apologize, first of all, just for my ignorance on that and Oh, for no, bringing no. up a topic that I hope is not painful for you as we discuss it today. Yeah. Um, please hear from me that you're not getting any of that sort of rejection from me on, on my end. Okay. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and I, and I apologize for any pain that that may cause, uh, along the way. Um, that being said, I still I think you're when I when I read your your the things you write, 
I feel like you have this big heart of Jesus, you know, <laughs> that just shines through. You're passionate about following Christ faithfully, loving Christ well. And there have been times where, honestly, the, you know, being in the church, the Nazarene for me has felt like, like, can I keep following Jesus mm -hmm. and still walk in this path, you know, in yeah. certain places? Not always, thankfully. And at this point, I'm, I'm still hold my ordination in it. But there are challenging, difficult conversations that mm -hmm. have to be had. And sometimes the, um, how shall I say, sometimes the answer is not let's have the conversation. The answer is be quiet or we'll boot you out. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and I have I have experienced that myself and, and it felt like, no, no, I just want to have the conversation. Nope, we're not having the conversation. Yeah. And that's leads into Gosh, actually, that's so well put. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it feels that yeah. way. It feels like there is a sort of McCarthyism that has invaded the church in some ways that like, if, yeah. you, don't, if you don't pass this litmus test, you're a communist or you're, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. you're like, all I wanted to do was talk about Jesus, you know, and how this doesn't, you know, uh, how mm -hmm. this doesn't line up. So yeah. um, all that being said, meaningful conversations are challenging, aren't they? Um, they really, really and, are. And and that was one thing I really wanted to to speak with you about today, because I follow you on social media, mostly through Twitter, uh, when I have a chance, because um, a lot of times things just fall through the crack. Life's so busy mm -hmm. with me, with school and work and family and all the things I have going on. There's barely even time to see family sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I just, I feel like, though, one thing that I see you addressing often is Christian nationalism. And mm -hmm. I feel like it is one of the most important issues of our time that if we don't get it right, um, we are just going to lose an, an yeah. entire generation of people who look at yeah. the church and say, I don't see anything like Jesus in that. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and so I'd, I'd love for you to, to talk with us today a little bit, because I, I know you write about this a lot and you, you write about mm -hmm. it. So I'm sure because you write about it. You've probably had a lot of engagement, uh, some some negative, some positive and things like that. But how do you go about having meaningful conversations, um, even with people that you disagree with? And, and why do you yeah. feel maybe we could even just have this conversation? Why is Christian nationalism such a threat right now? Mm -hmm. And I want to make that clear that I don't think it's a threat to the kingdom of God. Right, I think it right. is a threat to people's faith. Because yeah. it is not the kingdom of God. In fact, it is the furthest thing I can imagine from the kingdom mm -hmm. of God. Um, so I want to make yeah. that clear that I, I don't think there's any panic in heaven over this issue. And I don't think Jesus <laughs> is sweating it out by any means. But I do feel like it's a great danger to the church, especially in yeah. America right now. And to, and to democracy itself. To democracy itself, that's yeah. for sure. And, yeah. And then you then you start hearing we're not a democracy we're a republic right. but, you know like <laughs> yeah yeah whatever we're we're both but yeah right um but that's the talking point from the right, right wing news media that mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. really embracing this unchristian Christian nationalism you know yeah yeah so how yeah. do we how do we go about maybe we could start first with like what makes it so dangerous and then why is yeah. it so important to keep having conversations not to cut people off necessarily I mean there are points where for maybe our own health the conversation needs to end but but what's a good way as we talk about sort of the danger of this thing mm -hmm. that we can actually be like christ and engage in christ like yeah. ways? i so i was i was raised um in rural idaho homeschooled k through 12 in a, a deeply um fundamentalist sect of christianity that 
um, the same movement that led to the founding of the Aryan nations in Northern Idaho. So it's deeply racist, deeply um, nationalist. And so I I came from that, um, that upbringing. So like before even the phrase Christian nationalism kind of became mainstream, that was my, my upbringing and even the culture of Idaho itself in I came of age in the time of God and country rallies, like our Mm. youth group would go to these events. And so God and country just seemed synonymous with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so much, you know, we can get into a lot of the identity of that, but I think just to answer your, your question more poignantly about the danger of it, I think the deep danger of it, having been one who was raised in that culture, is there's a a deep suspicion of other people, a deep fear of anything that's that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who believes differently, even other Christians who interpret scripture differently, um, is it's all seen as a, a threat on top of a very conspiratorial theology. So it's not mm-hmm. just theology, it's it's deeply conspiratorial that mm-hmm. there is evil forces out there that are as evil as God is good. Mm-hmm. So it's a very Manichaean view of the world where evil is just as powerful as God is good. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not the gospel. You know, no. God is the most powerful, yeah. you know, sin is not more powerful than God. Evil is not more powerful than God. God is the most powerful force in mm-hmm. all the universe. And we see how Jesus reflects that power in his life, death, and resurrection. That is the power of God. And so I think what makes it incredibly dangerous is that because of that fear and conspiratorial theology, like the Left Behind series is the perfect example of conspiratorial theology. Like Uh it plays out in the whole series. Um, What makes it so dangerous is that you will then justify the, the, the worst kind of coercion and cruelty because the people's eternal salvation is at stake in that perspective. Mm, Right. And, and the stake of the world is, is at stake. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so you will justify whatever means possible, take over the country. We need to take back the white house, put Christians in charge of all positions of power because the stakes in that perspective are so high Mm -hmm. so loving your neighbor gentleness is a fruit of the spirit this all gets like turn the other cheek if you're forced to go one mile go to these are all then framed as weaknesses Mm -hmm. because you can't compromise with the enemy if you believe the enemy is really trying to wipe you off the face of the planet Um, and so it really comes down to this idea that we are being persecuted as as especially white christians we are being persecuted, white conservative Christians, um, and uh, we need to fight back against that kind of persecution. Right. And so it becomes becomes this really dangerous cocktail of justifying um, violence and cruelty and coercion mm-hmm. in the name of taking back the country. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. That was actually an, an excellent explanation. And you know, as as we get into that too. Um, I wonder, you probably have read Howard Thurman in your time reading theology, but I, I'll ask anyway, because I'm finding some people have and some people haven't. Have you ever read Howard Thurman's book, uh, Jesus and the Disinherited, before? 
No, I haven't. Oh, okay. I'm going to put that on your must read list. Then. <laughs> um, we, we, I've read it before. And then I, a class that I'm in right now on Christian ethics, uh, we're rereading it. And I, I don't know why I didn't catch it on my first time through. But to me, um, we, we might be conflating two things together a little bit in, in this, but we've just talked about sort of the danger of Christian nationalism, which mostly is a white evangelical thing um, <laughs> right now. Not entirely, yeah. but mostly you will see it in, in white evangelical sure. churches. And I'll get back to my point about Howard Thurman in just a second. But what often happens is people in monocultural spaces usually, where it's usually mostly white, uh, Christians who are fed a steady appetite, not of the gospel necessarily, mm -hmm. but of Fox News, Newsmax, all these right-wing media places, you know, um, who use Christian language sometimes. You know, they might quote a Bible verse or they'll have a flag with a, you know, wrapped around a Bible, so to speak, is how the, the language yeah. is kind of brought out there. Um, and then, and then we hear things like, you know, no, we're the ones that are, that are persecuted. We're the ones that are mm -hmm. in danger because, that white monocultural evangelical kind of worldview has always been the view that was in power in this country. So right. from, from the white house to wherever, we've always had this overtone of like, Oh no, we're a Christian nation, you know, type mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's always formed into that white identity, whether people want to admit it or not, they just always have been the right in power. So the reason that it's so difficult sometimes I think to reconcile is we have Paul who writes about, you know, um, slaves obey your masters. We mm -hmm. have, uh, you know, submit to governing authorities, do all that. And then you have Jesus who says, I have come to set the slave free. I have come to, you know, to bring the year of, of Jubilee, to bring about freedom and, and all these things that, you know, in some way you're like, well, how do you reconcile what Jesus is saying with what Paul's saying? So mm -hmm. diving quickly into Howard Thurman, and I, I'm sorry, I'm filibustering on my own podcast today. No, that's all right. <laughs> so what Howard Thurman says in Jesus and the Disinherited is he, he was a black man who lived around the time of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. And his grandmother was a slave. And he said that he would read the Bible to his grandmother who never learned how to read. And when they would get to the passages of Paul, she would ask him, please don't read Paul to me. I don't wow. want to hear that. And he would wow. inquire why, like, why, Grandma? We can't skip parts of the Bible. And she said, well, that was all that my slave master would ever read to us. Slaves, oh, my submit. word. Slaves, submit to your master. Slaves, submit to your wow. master. And if you don't do that, you're not a Christian. So he goes about in this book trying to reconcile Paul and Jesus together. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and, he, and he really explains really well that Paul was, like Jesus, a minority person. He was a mm -hmm. Jew. He was a part of a culture that was a minority who was in the world, but not of it, so to speak. We follow Jesus. So yes, we're all Christians and we're in this together. But Jesus was part of the disinherited. He was mm -hmm. un under Roman oppression and captivity, and Jesus and his people were there. Paul, on the other hand, was a Roman citizen with mm -hmm. all the benefits of being a Roman citizen. So in a sense, he was a minority, but he was also a part of the majority in power too. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's so, it was an interesting context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that was to say, maybe I feel like a good way to help us understand in this nation that those two things and and how they and we're not we won't I will never go and say like well so Paul wasn't a real Christian I don't believe that sure. at all. Sure. But for Paul, he was writing his letters from a perspective of 
well, it's to my benefit if this Roman government stays, you know, in power because I'm a part of this and I'm reaping the benefits. And as a Christian and as a part of the gospel, I'm I'm one among the other gods that gets to share, you know, kind of about this religion. Jesus, on the other hand, is a part of this oppressed group. It was in their interest that Rome not be, you know, the one with their foot on their neck, so to speak. Sure. And I felt like when I read that, and, and again, sorry for filibustering here. I felt like when I read those two differences, Howard Thurman points out and he says, and that is the white church in America, Paul, mm. who does not see the black church in America, who has been living for so long under that foot of oppression. And he said, if we can understand those two things, we might have a way to actually have this conversation about, you know, these topics that are so hard to have. So does that yeah. make sense to you at all? Yeah. Explain it? Yeah. No, that's really good. I mean, you mentioned uh, Brian Zahn at the beginning of our, mm -hmm. our podcast together. And he, he said something once that I think frames it really well is that we, especially the, the white church, we tend to read the Bible as if we are the uh, persecuted Israelites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. when we need to read it as if we're the Romans, because that's who we are, right? Exactly. And so if we were to read Paul that same way and say, okay, Paul Paul has more in common with the privileged class, mm -hmm. and so that's going to shape his theology, yeah. um, especially in the ones that, um, you know, his his theological coup de grace in, in Romans, right? Yeah. That's kind of, that has shaped conversations since it has been written. Um, and and I, I think one of the things that has been helpful for me in that conversation too is uh, Stanley Hauerwas, uh, who's mm. just a wonderful uh, ethicist. He, he said, you can't read Romans 13 without Romans 12 yeah. um, because Paul is, is holding Caesar to the same standard mm -hmm. uh, in Romans 12. And so then when you look at um, everyone be submitted to the governing authorities, uh, you are also saying that um, Caesar can't respond uh, to injustice with murder. <laughs> so like, yeah. and he was saying that in re response to 9-11 um, and he got so much flack to, for this he said how do you respond to, to terrorists committing murder against us mm -hmm. do you go murder them mm. is that going to repay everything no yeah. no like so you don't respond to terrorism with with murder like you we have to hold our governing authorities to Romans 12. Um, mm. if, if we're going to even understand what Romans 13 is supposed to look yeah. like. So that was really helpful to me too. But I, I think that that is such a powerful um, epoch that is not understood in just the, in our local church setting mm -hmm. that we read the Bible as if we are the oppressed minorities. Yeah. Cause here's, here's what's interesting is um, people will call the civil rights movement Christian nationalism because it was led by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Like, mm -hmm. how is that not Christian nationalism? Yeah. And, I, and I think it's an important thing to think about because, one, you never hear that the black church was persecuted for their faith when mm -hmm. they were. Like, yeah, right. that is the persecuted class of Christians in yeah. our country, but we don't hear that conversation. And, and two, Martin Luther King Jr., like you have this really interesting comparison between him and, and Malcolm X and that ongoing conversation of how do we make take political action? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you'll get the same kind of conversations about uh, 
abolition against slavery. It's like, was that Christian nationalism to, to abolish slavery on, on behalf of our Christian faith? And, and really, I think the best way to think about that is the civil rights movement was nonviolent, inherently nonviolent for Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr. He wanted to make and he did it so skillfully, you know, to to do sit-ins, to do bus sit-ins, like all of this nonviolent, um, gosh, what was his phrase? It was nonviolent resistance yes. against this oppression that was happening. Um, he didn't want to play into the violence that was being done against his people, but he was going to do. And that's what made it so, such a powerful movement. But it was other centered. Right. The abolition against slavery is other centered white Christian nationalism centers white Christians Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we center ourselves in that movement and say that we are the oppressed people. We need liberation. We need. And so it's a very self-centered movement. And so I don't think we can we can compare the two and say, well, the civil rights movement was Christian nationalism. It it was it was advocating political change for the marginalized and the oppressed. Mm. White Christian nationalism is not doing that. We are we are a privileged class that thinks we're being persecuted, which mm. is, which is a very dangerous dangerous combination. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you think about that because I I'm I'm so used to hearing that language of you know being being persecuted for our faith and mm-hmm. I, i've just never experienced that ever um yeah. I, I experienced being bullied when i was in school it had nothing to do with my faith it was just yeah. you know i was the the weird kid or whatever at the time um i i can't imagine when when to make a statement like that too in a world where christians actually are being persecuted mm-hmm. like you go oh, to different nations yeah. where they literally are being beheaded and they are literally being killed and and cast out of windows and i mean to say that we're persecuted why because someone didn't say merry christmas you know or something you know it's right. like right. how can you even compare what that really is and so it almost it it's similar to um, I've I've heard people say that we're a lot of them. Ironically uh, enough, now they've left like conservative positions in politics. But they said they used to get so tired of it was like everything that they did. They always got called racist for it. You know, back mm-hmm. in the old days, to the point that it was it was used so much that now when it actually appears and you see it, the word is meaningless right. because it was right, like overly right. used. You know, to the point yeah. where you know it. it it actually merits a conversation about, okay, what do these words actually mean? (laughs) You know, it does. Yeah. Um, and, and and because it's important because when we lose all context of like what persecution is, for Mm -hmm. instance, like you don't have to go very far, um, outside of the United States to see what actual persecution looks like. Oh, absolutely. And so it's, it's an interesting conversation for us to have. Well, one one thing that I, I love about you, even just in this conversation today, and, and I, I want listeners to know this is the first time we've actually had voice to voice, ear to ear conversation yeah. together. We've, we've exchanged a few emails um, over the past few months and just haven't been able to work out a time because of our time zones being so different and our schedules being so different. Um, but your heart uh, just it just shines through. There's such a, a presence, I feel like, as I talk to you that I feel like um there there is such a goodness of the lord that i sense mm. that comes from you when you speak about these things um it sounds like you probably have reasons to be bitter but i don't think you are i think there's a lot of love that comes out of your heart and i'd love to talk to you about what it means to let's say have a conversation with somebody on the complete opposite end of things um because 
honestly, if, if we walk in the ways of Jesus, if we walk like Jesus, if we try to hold up things like the Sermon on the Mount that we take very seriously, that we believe these are what Jesus taught and, and how to live and things like loving your enemies and praying for your persecutors and things like that. Um, those are things that, you know, they don't, they don't go very far with people who are in that other camp, you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if you could just share with us, like, has there been any experience in your life where keeping an open heart when you're communicating with people has been a way that actually aided you in having the conversation? It may Mm. not be on a broad scale, um, but but what's your way of approaching maybe like face-to-face -face encounters with people or maybe even on the internet? But I guess, how do you keep your heart open is what I'm asking. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I appreciate your kind words so much. It's just so humbling to, to hear that from you. So thank you. I, I first off, like I always, I don't always do that well. Like just like, you know, anyone else I can get, have a bad day and, and be defensive because I think in this time that we're in, it's not just ideas that we're trying to um, talk about or, or, or have conversations about, but we tie our religious and moral identity to these ideas about mm -hmm. race, about gender, Christianity, all of these things, right? And so that's a very passionate and potent combination. And so when someone disagrees with something that you've poured your whole heart and identity out on, let's say I write something and somebody just goes off on it, I can in that moment feel very targeted and very offended because mm. it's like, can't you see I poured my heart out <laughs> into mm. this? Like it's my full self I put in here. And it's not just ideas. It's how I morally feel about these things and theologically yeah. feel. But then when I, when I take a, a beat and oftentimes I will give myself ample space to respond because you never mm. want to respond immediately. And yeah. this is, this is in the email, you know, online scenario, right? You never want to respond immediately because usually my initial re uh, reaction, it's not a response. It's a reaction mm -hmm. is not going to be good. Mm. <laughs> it's not going to be loving my neighbor as myself. And so what I've really been challenged by lately, um, one of my favorite psychology podcasts is Hidden Brain. And they oh, yeah. do they do mm -hmm. so much work in that um, interpersonal communication. And they're doing a recent season right now called Us 2.0. And they this is all they're talking about is how to talk, you know, in really um, high stakes conversations, right? So it's super important. But um, in... In those initial email responses, I'll give myself time to say, okay, how can I see that from their perspective? Hmm. How, I, and one of the things I say to myself, how can I suspend how I'm feeling about what they said to put myself in their shoes hmm. to see where they are coming from? Because I'm hearing and don't, don't focus on the words being said, but more focus on the, the emotional tone of it. Yeah. So like I'm sensing anger. I'm sensing mm -hmm. fear. I'm sensing um, moral indignation, you know, all, all of these things. I'm, I'm sensing lament even. Right. Mm -hmm. And so turning that pastor brain on and saying, okay, they're responding really, really harshly right now, but how, how can I put myself in their shoes? And that creates the ability to be a bit more, more open in those, those communications. Yeah.
Well, and, and and I would say uh, turning the chaplain brain on uh, that I'm that I've discovered. Um, you said turning the pastor brain on, and when I went through um, CPE, my clinical pastoral education, that's one thing that they very much focused in on. You know what what is underneath there? What's what's going on under what they're saying? What's causing the anger? What's causing the fear? And they do that first by saying you you have to start with yourself though and figure out Yeah. like what's going on with me. Um, that's underneath all of this too. And I think that's, that's such an important part and often overlooked part of these conversations that we have um, to the point that now often my devotional time with God is not always uh, sitting with a Bible in front of me. It's often sitting with a wheel of emotion in front of me, looking Yeah. at what, what am I feeling today? And I almost always find myself living out of fear. Um, when, when I, it's funny how we can be more than one thing. And often my fear comes from a feeling of inadequacy of, you know, just not being enough in some way. And then, so if I get real with myself about what I'm feeling and I go, wow, I didn't even realize I was feeling all that today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We might be able to start seeing that with others too and, and helping them through that. And as you're saying, we might find out the thing that's being said is not even the issue at all. You know, Right, um, right. but it's, it's often I find as, as a hospital chaplain, when I walk into a room, that person is there because they're not feeling well. <laughs> but Yeah. so often as I sit with them, you start to uncover, I wonder if the issue right now is actually not this illness they're dealing with. Because when I ask them about kind of what's on their heart and mind, They don't even want to talk about the illness. They want to talk about this, you know, re relational rift that happened, you know, 10, you know, all this time back. Um, and it's fascinating the way that what we hold underneath sometimes causes all these other things that I just want to call sickness to pour out, you know, um, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. when, when, when we're ill and kind of gets me back to the whole idea of what does it mean for, for Christ to be a healing God to us? You know, it, a healing is not always, we always think in terms of like, you know, made me walk when I couldn't walk or, or healed this Mm -hmm. Mm cancer -hmm. that I had. But so often that sickness that is in us is an, is an emotional sickness is a powerful, Yeah. Mm -hmm. or we would call it spiritual sickness in chaplaincy too. Yeah. And, Yeah. and I, I think we're just deeply spiritually sick in, in a lot of Yeah. ways. Yeah. And so I appreciate the way that you brought that out and don't listen to the words as much as you're listening to what's under those words, you Mm know, -hmm. Exactly. like that, that person Yeah. that is there is so important. And we, and we believe that that person is, precious to God, you know, Yeah. and And I, and I have to say, I have seen like people often ask me like, well, but what do you see change? <laughs> like, because there's, we're so entrenched right now as, as a, a divided country um, that it feels impossible to see change happen. And I, my response is always yes, because I went to, you know, through NNU uh, for two um, degree programs and then went to Nazarene Theological Seminary for my, my degree there. And I was in continuous conversation with my parents <laughs> and I always point back to those when the heart of the conversation is that way, you know, I I've seen a tremendous change in myself, but talking about that change with them and that openness and their willingness to be challenged and their uh, open hearts to like focus in on what's happening to the 
person, I've seen a huge, tremendous change in in them as well. And that played out in my pastoral ministry as well. And so it, it doesn't feel like it's going to be a wide sweeping change because that's what we want to see, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the heart behind the questions. Like, I want to see the whole movement change overnight. Yeah. It's like, well, that's that's not reasonable. <laughs> you no, know? But no. It really does start with those individual conversations. And so, yes, you're going to see change, but it's not going to be overnight with an individual and it's it's not going to be wide sweeping change yeah. but those that those seeds are planted which starts movements to to happen as well yeah well and i i think the thing about change you know, we I, I got so tired of hearing the phrase this was life-changing this changed my whole world you know like, oh, yeah. like that yeah and then and then uh COVID actually kind of transformed my perspective on change being a good thing. Uh, because <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like, oh, you want to see the whole world change? Well, here it was, you know, like it literally changed the entire world and it was yeah. not a great thing. Not great. And and I honestly, I think when you say that too, um, sometimes it doesn't feel like there's any change at all. You're right. Like it's, it's sometimes in those small minuscule ways. But I think something that is very important that we sometimes overlook is it's also important that uh, I'll just I'll use a song as an example. I'm a songwriter, so I always go to yeah. That. Tony Arada wrote a song years ago called "The Change," um, and it was actually Garth Brooks recorded it and made a music video. It came out right around the time, shortly after the Oklahoma City bombings happened in mm. the 1990s. Yeah, terrible tragedy. Probably at that point, one of the worst in our nation mm-hmm. that we had yeah. seen. I mean probably since Pearl Harbor at that time, you know, yeah. just something that was so devastating. And yeah. unfortunately it probably has not been the worst since then, but at that mm-hmm. time it was terrible. Yeah. But that song is all about, um, basically it was the work of, of uh, paramedics and firefighters and policemen and people who were rescuing in that song. And so the, the music video actually interlaces all these pictures of people who were rescuing people from the rubble. And there was, so much death from the bombings that happened. And if, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was even a Nazarene daycare center that was in, in that building, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed hopeless. And so the song, uh, the chorus says, I hear them saying, uh, you'll, you'll never change things. And no matter what you do, it's still the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says, but it's not the world I'm changing. I do this so the world will know that it will not change me is how the song goes. And, uh, and it, and it literally just talks about, you know, one hand reaching out from the rubble and all these different places of like, it might just be that one person from the rubble, but it didn't change who I was that I still was supposed to be a person digging through the rubble, searching for hope and life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I kind of hang on to that too. When people ask those similar questions, like, yeah, is it making a change? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just the fact that hopefully it's not changing the heart that I have that God wants yeah. us to be there doing the work, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll let God bring the the harvest and whatever that looks like, but hopefully yeah. we'll just keep plugging away, doing the work he's called us to do in the midst of it. And um, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens, but that's kind of what hope is though. It's anticipated joy. I think Jürgen Moltmann called it. Uh, so, so we live in this, this hope or this anticipated yeah. joy um, that, that we do anticipate is coming. It's not, absolutely it's not all doom and gloom. I think one of the greatest things that the actual gospel of Jesus has going for it in this world of Christian nationalism, which is so dire and so dark yeah. and hopeless yeah. is that Jesus says, no, there is a hope 
uh, there is a, a love that is everlasting and a joy that is so transformative. So I, Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I still think Jesus is the hope of it all for sure. Mm -hmm. And Yeah. when we find that real Jesus, it's so transformative. So, Yeah, that's something well, I just can't let go of. <laughs> for sure. Well, let me apologize because I talked way more than I usually do when I have guests. Uh, so, uh, but Ben, I just, I've really appreciated the conversation. I just looked at the clock and realized, uh oh, uh, we've talked for like an hour almost, and I have Oh, a wow. class coming up. So, Yeah. um, but this has been really uh, great for me. So, I look forward to sharing this on the podcast. If all the, the links work out the way they're supposed to in internet land, hopefully just wherever you listen, listeners, um, as you're listening to this show, you should be able with just the click of a link um, in the podcast where you're listening, wherever that may be, uh, to go right to where Ben's page is. And if you're interested in uh, accessing his devotional and getting his emails from that, um, I think you'll find it to be very beneficial. So, uh, well, Ben, I, is there anything I missed today that you wanted to talk about? Because we kind of went here, there, and everywhere, but I wanted—I always want to give an opportunity. Is there anything that you're passionate about right now that you didn't have a chance to say anything about today? You know, I feel like we could have talked for hours more and Yeah. we talked about so many things that I'm passionate about. And so I think that's Yeah. a good point, stopping point, but maybe we'll just have to have a return conversation. Very good. Well, I'll tell you what, hang out for just a second, but I'm going to go ahead and run the music. Let's see if the music works again this time on my end anyway, as we close All right. out. But, but Ben Kramer, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. And for all of you listening out there, thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head. Uh, I plan to be back with you next week if all goes well. And uh, we're going to have another great conversation here. In the meantime, check out Rick Lee James. Dot com or just look up Voices in My Head, the Rick Lee James podcast for more. And thank you so much for listening.